You are listening to Holy Words from Holy Cross, the sermon podcast of Holy Cross Evangelical Lutheran Church in Nazareth, Pennsylvania. We hope you find these words a blessing in your daily walk with God. Please visit us on the web at www.holycrossnazareth.org or in person at 696 Johnson Road, Nazareth, Pennsylvania. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart, not be all else to me, save that Well, as our sermon begins this morning, um, we're going to start with a little congregational participation. Millennials, you're excused. You're too young to remember this song. But you might have heard your dad playing it. You have to complete the end. Give me the end line. Oh Lord, it's hard to be humble. You got it when you're perfect in every way. Yes. (laughs) Our reading this morning begins with a long line of luminaries who are amazing people. It starts with Caesar. We start with Caesar, and then we move to the governor and to the tetra- two tetrarchs. That's kings of four small kingdoms. And, and on to the high priests in the temple. And uh, this serves two purposes for, uh, for Luke. One, and for, us in the, and for us as those who receive the word of God all these years later, the purpose, first purpose is this, that it roots our story at a particular moment in time and at a particular place. Yes, Christ is a redemptive figure. Psychologists would call him an archetype. But he's more than that. He is actually a very particular redeemer. The one redeemer whom God sent and who trod the same way we tread over our roads, he tread over his. As our communion liturgy says, He took on our nature and our lot and was made man. So this roots our story at a very particular time and place. But running down this great list of luminaries also serves another purpose. And that's to contrast them with the crowd that gathers around John the Baptist in the wilderness. We're told about the crowd, the tax collectors, and the soldiers. These are people who are way lower down the social scale. And whether they're smarter, they're more desperate, or they just aren't so busy, they have come out from the safety of the walled city into the wilderness to hear something that the reading tells us is good news. But it's a tough message from an unlikely messenger. I want you to think about John the Baptist for a moment. John lived out in the wilderness. He's what we would think of as homeless, living out in the the outback, so to speak. And he dresses in animal furs, cut rough. He scavenges for food. And this food he gets are, we're told, locusts and honey, which means that he's eating insects and breaking into bees' hives, which means he's probably covered with stings. Probably been a while since he's seen a bath. Now, if he showed up here for worship on a Sunday morning, 
I've no doubt that people would be kind to him. And they'd probably set him down back in the social hall, get him a plate of food, and someone else would call the police to come and remand him to psychiatric treatment. <laughs> He's an unlikely messenger. But his words are filled with such power because they're not his words at all. They're the word of God. And what does he call people to do in preparation for this coming Messiah? Repent. Now, Deacon Michael and I have been friends for a while and he has a saying. I've heard it a lot of times from him. He said, Pastor, one thing I've learned about people over the years... They don't like to take advice. (laughs) And this was just as true of people in the first century as it is in the 21st century. Nobody likes to be told to repent. To be told that their lives are in some fundamental ways out of step with what God wants for them. No one likes to hear it. And our preacher is aware of this. So John the Baptist says to them, Do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham for our father. Because that's just a way of distancing yourself from your sin. That's a way of saying, Oh, the pastor's preaching about sinners. He must mean somebody else. Because after all, I've got Abraham for my father. I've got this great lineage going back to the great father of faith. And I have inherited the promises given to him. He must mean someone else. Well, the confirmation students have been reading the Abraham stories together, um, these, the last, our last session, and they've discovered Abraham was not so noble of a guy. They're a little appalled by his behavior, in fact. What made Abraham special was not Abraham. It was God's call, God's word coming to Abraham, God's promise to Abraham, God's power to keep his promise that made Abraham special. And what John the Baptist is essentially saying it is, you should not claim as a virtue for yourself a promise given to somebody else. Yes, I'm talking to you. In case they missed it, he goes on to call them brood of vipers. It's always fun to preach on these texts. They always come up at this time of year. You go out there and the world is singing happy Christmas music and you come to church and it's you brood of vipers. <laughs> it's rough. <laughs> In fact, this was the first text I ever had to preach on and I'm convinced the senior pastor gave it to the youth minister because he didn't want to preach on it. <laughs> but the word brood makes us lose the contrast. So let me, let me use another saying from uh, our colloquialisms that will help you put this in context. When we say that a young bride is broody, what do we mean? She's looking forward to having children, right? Is my grandparents the only one who used that phrase? <laughs> They're looking forward to having children. So a brood of vipers is a nest of children. The preacher's drawing a stark contrast. He's saying, if you think you're a child of Abraham... And you're trying to distance yourself from your sin? You are, in fact, children of snakes. And not just snakes, but one snake in particular, whose lie all those years ago got us in the mess we're in. If you don't think you have to repent, you're telling a lie, just like your father Satan did. 
It's pretty strong meat from the uh, John. And all his point is is that we have to come to God in repentance. Because here's the reality. God is the truth. And any falseness in us forestalls the possibility of communion with Him. If we want to be reconciled to God, if we want to be reconciled to God, we have to be in the truth too. And that means admitting where our lives are out of alignment with what God wants for us, who God created us to be. And that is good news. It comes as the hardest kind of message for us to hear because we don't like to take advice. But it's such good news because here's reality. Almost every religious system in the world has elaborate exercises for you to engage in, to alter your consciousness. Or elaborate rituals for you to go to, to purify yourself so you may approach the deity. The Christian faith says this, all you need to do to come to God is surrender. Is let go. And I'll tell you this, the most miserable, the most exhausted, the most beat up sinner in the world can fall to their knees. And it's on our knees that we meet the living God. And furthermore, it's on our knees that we are all equal before God. When is, the, when is Caesar equivalent to exactly the lowest slave in his court? When he's on his knees. When is the high priest equal to the, the penitent who comes to him with a sacrifice for his sin? When he's on his knees. We meet the living God in our surrender by letting go of our sin and letting Him cleanse us. There's a reason why Billy Graham used the song Just As I Am for every altar call at every rally he ever preached. Because you don't want to wait till you're ready to come to God because you'll never be ready. You want to come to God now so He can make you ready. But it is hard to be humble. It is way easier to confess the sins of others than it is to own our own sin. That's what that we have Abraham as our father stuff is. Saying how the sinners are over there. It's easier for us in our human nature to do that. I'm going to get myself in trouble with my first sermon example. Michael says I won't be. <laughs> he heard it already. Anybody know who Lauren Daigle is? You ever heard her name? Contemporary Christian artist. I know you guys do. Your daughter sings half her songs at the piano. <laughs> um, well, she's beginning to get crossover appeal. She's getting on the radar of people outside of the... And people are listening to her outside of the Christian listening market. Last month, she was on the Ellen DeGeneres show. And caught flack from certain quarters of the Christian community for doing so. What's interesting? Ellen requested her presence on the program 
and even requested the song that she sang. The song is called Still Rolling Stones. It's a great song. So much fun. Need, need something to get your blood pumping in the morning. It's a good one. The imagery is drawn from the Easter story where God rolls the stone away from the grave so the resurrected Christ can emerge. And there's a place in the song where the music comes way down so the lyrics are real clear. It's got kind of a gospel flavor to it. There's places where it's really, it's really kicking, but in the middle it gets quiet. I want you to hear the words to that part of the song. The song says, goes, I thought that I was too far gone for everything I've done wrong. Yeah, I'm the one who dug this grave, but you called my name. You called my name. All at once I came alive. This beating heart, these open eyes, the grave let go. The darkness should have known. You're still rolling stones. And of course she was criticized for going on to the show because Ellen DeGeneres is a homosexual and publicly so. She was interviewed on iHeartRadio a week or two later. And I listened to the interview. I'm going to quote, I got this in front of me because I'm going to quote what she said. She said, well, it's the first time in my career that I'm genuinely getting criticized. For me, it was really sad that their outlook would be, oh, because Ellen's gay, she's bad. That's sad. It's so sad. What people don't realize is I went to Ellen and she's just a bundle of light. She's so joyful. She was so kind. And she said, talked about how um, Ellen DeGeneres took her aside, took a moment on the busy set where they were um, producing this show to, to corner her and, and stay, tell her to stay focused to remember that her career is not a sprint but a marathon. And she said, don't burn yourself out. You have, to take, you have what it takes to be a history maker in this world. Don't burn out. Stay focused and only do what you love. She actually took time to kind of invest in me, Daigle said. So it's kind of sad to see people criticize her when she's actually a beautiful person. Well, later on in the interview, um, the interviewer said, well, I'm going I'm to shoot a couple of questions at you that you don't have to answer if you don't want to. But she did. And, he's, and she, he asked, what do you feel, he said, do you feel that homosexuality is a sin? And here's what she said. I can't in, honestly answer on that. In a sense, I have too many people that I love that, oh, they're homosexual. I don't know. I actually had a conversation with someone last night about it. I can't say one way or the other. I'm not God. So when people ask questions like that, that's what my go-to is. I just say, read the Bible and find out for yourself. And when you find out, let me know. Because I'm learning too. Now, if her answer was less of a theological treatise or less of a straight biblical answer than it might have been, it was a great deal more than simply a moralizing answer. She called people to actually read the Bible for themselves. And she got her doing it. It also showed genuine humanity for this person who had been kind to her. Showed appreciation for her encouragement and didn't refuse to simply cast her into the sinner category. In fact, she even confessed her own lack of understanding of the Bible 
her own sinfulness in her answer. Whatever you think of Ellen's answer, not whatever you think of Lauren Daigle's answer, do you think, what do you think Ellen and her friends, her fans will think of it? Will they be more or less inclined to consider the ultimate truth claims of Christianity and read the Bible, or more so because of Lauren's actions and words? She confessed her own sins and refused to confess the sins of someone else. My final example I don't need notes for because I was there. My family's not with me this morning. Um, they are at, uh, they're down in Washington, D.C. at the C-SPAN Christmas party. My son is excited. There's a buffet with endless amounts of bacon. <laughs> um, about five years ago, I was down there when my children were still shorter than me. <laughs> and um, uh, I got to meet the CEO of C-SPAN. If you don't know what C-SPAN is, it's a cable network that covers all the political stuff. My, my sister-in-law is the archivist there. And I um, uh, got to meet Brian Lamb, the CEO, which is pretty neat. He made time in his schedule to come over and meet Debbie's family, which was really cool. And um, we were actually getting a little tour of the facility before things started. And um, so he saw I was dressed kind of semi-professionally, and he came up and shook my hand. He knew it was my day off. He said, Si, so your, your name's Brett. What, what are you doing? I said, oh, I'm a pastor. And he went... You know, this guy meets, this guy gets to talk to presidents and senators and represent, House of Representative people. I love the fact that meeting a pastor could rock him back a little bit. <laughs> and... Um, and he said, oh, hmm, well, it's been a long time since I was in church. I, I, guess I, I guess I'm just a sinner. And I looked at him and I said this with all seriousness because I believe it. I said, Mr. Lamb, if God can do something with a sinner like me, I'm sure he can do something with a sinner like you. And he just looked at me blank-faced for a second and then he said, I've never heard anyone say that. I like that. I'm going to remember it. When we refuse to confess the sins of others, but are quick to confess our own, we find ourselves kneeling together before God. And that's how the valleys get exalted. That's how the hills are made low. That's how the crooked ways are made straight and the rough places made plain. That's how every obstacle to coming to God is removed because there's nothing for us to do but let go. To surrender to Him and confess His goodness. Will you join me for a word of prayer? Lord, it's so hard for us to take correction, to hear correction as truly good news. And yet, Lord, we know we're out of step. We know we're out of alignment with what you wish for our lives. Sometimes in small ways, sometimes in big ways, sometimes in ways that everyone can see, and sometimes in ways that only you know. Whatever it is, Whatever our sin, we ask you to give us the strength to let it go. 
to surrender to you and by your righteousness be truly prepared for the coming of the Savior whom we await with bated breath. Strengthen us, O Lord, to do these things for the sake of your Son, who is that Savior, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart, not be all else to me, save the